Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Driscoll's. Only the finest berries. Hello, young chefs, and welcome back to Mystery Recipe. I'm Molly Birnbaum, Editor-in-Chief of America's Test Kitchen Kids. And I'm Mitzi, oven mitt, Molly's right-hand gal, and co-host on the show. Every week on Mystery Recipe, we'll be talking about the fun, fantastical, and fascinating sides of a different kitchen ingredient. And this week is no different. That's what we'll be doing today. Plus, at the end of the season, we'll use all the ingredients to cook a mystery recipe together. Can you guess what it is yet? Kind of tough, since all we know so far is that it uses cinnamon. Yeah, fair enough, Molly. Well, it's day two of Cinnamon Week. That's right. Today, we have an aromatic blend of science and humor in our tricky trivia segments, followed by a warm and inspired conversation about memory in Ask a Grown-Up. Is that so? Yes. I wanted to try and be like a fancy spices person and elevate my language. It's working. Oh, boy! I mean, right. Yes. And to put a period at the end of today's cinnamon escape, our friend Andrea is back with a special guest in How To Time. A special guest? I wonder who that could be. It's Parker! Mitzi, I know. I was just building suspense. Oh, right. Sorry. Spoiler alert. It's Parker. But also, it's Parker! Ah, I'm so excited! Me too. And now, folks, here are the dulcet melodies that make up our theme. Looks good. I bet it tastes good. Ooh. Akio apple cider. Mystery recipe. Molly, I think I am happiest in front of this mic with you. Aw, Mitzi, I love recording with you, too. Seriously, if I could just bottle up this feeling, I would. Just bottle up as many podcast hosting moments as I can and just fill a whole pantry with them. A pantry, huh? No, a a bunker. I'd be like a doomsday prepper, but with podcast hosting moments with Molly. Not sure I follow, Mitzi. I'm just having several ideas here at the same time. I'm going to run some tests, Molly. I'll be back in just a minute. Right. Well, that's fine, because it's time for Tricky Trivia. But in order to play Tricky Trivia, I'm going to need some help. Greg, can I get your help in here, please? Oh, hello? Molly, did did you need something? Yes. Greg, can you help me out with our next segment? Oh, you mean, like, on mic? Like actually recording with you for the podcast? If you're okay with that. Uh, I mean, it sounds amazing. I think I'd absolutely love to. Fantastic. Well, this next segment is called Tricky Trivia. Ooh, I love trivia. Honestly, uh, Molly, how do you play? Well, I'm going to give you a fact about our ingredient theme, and you have to help our listeners guess if it's true or false. Are you ready to play? Hmm, I think this sounds like a total delight, if I'm being honest. Yes, let's do this. All right, here's your first one. 
Cinnamon sticks are also called quills. Now, Greg, is that true or false? Are cinnamon sticks also called quills? Hmm. Okay, I don't know the answer to this, but I can think it through. Hmm. I know that the word quill can mean a few different things. Sometimes a quill can refer to a feather, like from a bird. Historically speaking, a quill is what people used to use to write with. Before pens were invented, a way long time ago, people would take a feather, or something like it, dip it in ink, and use that to write. Like the wizards still do in Harry Potter. Quills can also be spools or spindles to wind yarn. That kind of quill is almost like a toilet paper roll, except smaller, and used to wrap yarn instead of toilet paper. I have now said toilet paper in front of my boss more times than I would have liked to. That's okay, Greg. You're absolutely right. I'm so impressed with all the uses of the word quill that you know. Oh, thank you. Talking that through helped me to realize something. All of those definitions of quill are related to something straight and hollow. A long hollow feather in one case, and a hollow spool to wrap yarn in the other. I also know that cinnamon sticks are pretty long. They're definitely straight, and the way the bark wraps around it makes it hollow on the inside. So? So true. I am going to guess that cinnamon sticks are also called quills. Correct. Nice work deducing the truth there, Greg. Cinnamon sticks are called quills. I like to think of Harry Potter using them to do wizardy things. Accio apple cider! Okay, ready for your next one? Here it is. True or false? In Sweden, October 4th is celebrated as National Cinnamon Bun Day. So, true or false, Greg? Is October 4th National Cinnamon Bun Day in Sweden? Uh, wow, Molly. I'm pretty sure my, uh, my whole life just changed. And now I have a goal of moving to Sweden. (laughs) Or just visiting. Specifically on October 4th. So, you think the answer is true? Well, Molly, this is such a specific question. And it feels like it would be difficult for you to make this one up. I think, based on the details, I can trust that this one is actually true. I also just really, really hope it's true, because that would be just great news. Well, you're right. October 4th is National Cinnamon Bun Day in Sweden. Kanel Bulin's dog or Cinnamon Bun Day, has been celebrated on October 4th each year since 1999. The day was created to celebrate Sweden's rich tradition of bular, or buns. Ooh, sounds like a very rich tradition to me. Hey, nice one, Greg. All right, are you ready for your last one? Ready as I'll ever be. Here it is. It's about volatile oils found in tree bark. True or false, Greg? Cinnamaldehyde is the main chemical component of the volatile oil responsible for the spicy taste of cinnamon. Oh, uh, sorry, Molly, but what is a volatile oil? Good question. A volatile oil is like an essential oil. It's an oil or liquid that's found in a plant which contains a lot of that plant's smell. 
Hmm, I want to say it's false, because cinnamaldehyde sounds like you just made up a fancy name for something to have to do with cinnamon, huh? But I don't actually know the answer. So, let me pause for a moment and think about it. Go for it. Aldehydes, I think I've read, are a type of compound. It's a word scientists use a lot. And volatile oils are... Sciency. And if I were a scientist naming a volatile oil that gives cinnamon its spicy flavor, I'd probably put the sound cinnam at the front. So true. Great work, Greg. You're right. Cinnamaldehyde is the chemical that gives cinnamon its spicy taste. I really like how you took some things that you knew like that an aldehyde is a type of compound, and tied it together with things that you don't totally know but could guess. In this case, it worked out. Cinnamaldehyde gives cinnamon that spicy taste, but there are more volatile compounds that help to round out the full flavor, eugenol and linalool. There's only a tiny amount of eugenol and linalool, but they give cinnamon its floral, woodsy, clovey aromas. Hmm, do you know if they bottle uh, linalool, Molly? I would also like to have a floral and woodsy aroma. Not a bad idea, Greg. And nice job with Tricky Trivia today. Thank you, Molly. That was a lot of fun. Listeners at home, I hope you had as much fun with that as I did. Molly, Greg, can I get a hand with the door here? Coming, boss. Mitzi, what are you doing? Why are you carrying all those jars? Watch out there. I'll clean that up in just a second. Be careful. Because, Molly, I wanted to try and bottle up some podcast hosting moments with you. I, um, don't think that's how bottles work, Mitzi. I don't really think that's how moments work either, boss. Okay, well, you two are no fun. Let's just try it here. Here, Molly, grab a jar. Greg, can you grab one, too? Here you go. Okay, let's just try the opening again. And just try to kind of talk into the jar, right right into the jar like this. And then we're just going to try to put the caps on real quick. Ready? Ready. Ready. Hello, young chefs, and welcome to Mystery Recipe. I'm Molly Burnbaum, Editor-in-Chief of America's Tuskegee Kids. And I'm Mitzi, I've admit, Molly's right-hand gal, and co-host on the show. And I'm Greg. And screw on the lids real quick. There. Nice work, folks. Uh, how will we know if it worked? Well, I hadn't thought about that, Greg. How about you keep thinking this over while we move on to our next segment? Up next, Chad is here to talk a little bit about the science of memory. Oh, right. I forgot. Hey, nice one, Greg. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Grown-ups, these ads are for you. Oh, I definitely want one of those in a bottle. Uh, Say that again, Molly. Grown-ups, these ads are for you. Hey, grown-ups. I want to tell you about our sponsor, the Kroger family of stores. If you're anything like me, it's easy to let grocery shopping fall to the bottom of your to-do list. Kroger's grocery delivery service has taken the stress out of the process. You don't even need to leave your house. 
Shop online and get fresh groceries delivered to your house in as little as an hour. Shopping couldn't be simpler. It's easy to find the items you buy often, or you can search for exactly what you're looking for. Then schedule a delivery time that works for you and get back to what matters most. Save time and order online with Kroger's Grocery Delivery. Learn more at Kroger.com. Hey, grown-ups! Today I want to tell you all about mangoes, and my friend Carmen Dongo is here to help. Carmen, can you introduce yourself, please? I'm Carmen Dongo. I'm a test cook with America's Test Kitchen. Carmen, I know tons of kids love fresh-cut mangoes as a snack, but dishes with mango are a great way to get kids to try new flavors, too. Can you think of any mango recipes that you think kids would enjoy? I think kids will really enjoy tasting mango lassi. Lassi is a yogurt-based drink that originated in the Punjab region of India. You can also just blend them up into a mango smoothie. For more easy, kid-approved mango recipes, visit mango.org slash mystery recipe. And we're back. And our friend and producer, Chad, is here to talk to us a little bit about memory. How's it going, Chad? Hi, Molly. I'm great. I am glad to be here today. So what are we going to learn about memory today? Well, today I wanted to talk about the connection between smell and memory. Have you ever smelled something that reminded you of a particular moment from your past? Oh, all the time. I think... Smells are such an interesting little piece of memory. Yeah, so one of my favorite smells that brings me back to a time in my past is the smell of fresh rosemary, the herb. And a couple times I've smelled it while I was chopping it for cooking or something, and it brought me right back to my childhood when we went on this really fun vacation out west. And I rode a horse for, like, one of the first times ever, and we rode a horse into the, like— wilderness. And I think there must have been rosemary bushes because the smell of rosemary brings me back to being on a horse for one of the first times ever in the middle of nowhere. I know whenever I smell a gymnasium, I think of basketball practice from when I was a kid. Or whenever I smell cinnamon, I think of the holidays at my stepmom's house because she is always baking some cinnamony apple something. Does cinnamon remind you of any specific memories, listeners? It's fun to think about, isn't it? And it's sort of wild that one smell can do so much to remind us of a specific moment in time. Smell does more to trigger memory than any of our other senses, like sight, taste, hearing, or touch. And so I wanted to figure out why. And what did you find? Can you hear me now? I can, yeah. How are you? Good, good, good. Well, I spoke to Dr. Venkatesh Murphy. I'm a professor uh, at Harvard University. I teach and research neuroscience. Neuroscience is the study of the neural system, specifically the study of the brain. And the general goal is to understand how we think, how do we remember, how do we do things using our brains. Dr. Murphy studies the human brain in relation to smell which made him the perfect person to tell me why smell can trigger such specific memories. I think we could probably say that we understand some things about it, so I I cannot give you one definitive answer why that is, but we have very good ideas of why that's the case. 
Why that's the case is most likely because the parts of the brain that are responsible for storing and kind of recalling the memories seem to be more directly, physically, kind of locally connected to the parts of the brain that are involved in smell. What exactly does Dr. Murthy mean when he says parts of the brain? I asked him the same question. Essentially, different parts of our brains do different things. Like there are parts of the brain that are more responsible for our sense of sight, like seeing and recognizing objects in the world by looking. There are other parts that are more specialized for touch. Like, you know, if you touch and, you know, a feel, like that's a different part. And so the part of our brain that handles smell is right next to the part of our brain that stores memories. And we think that things being close to each other matters. And maybe there's some more direct connection because of that. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it's the most likely explanation. That is so interesting. Think of it like how some kids go to school every day, right? If my house is really far away from school, I might have to get on a school bus and sit on that bus for a long time before I actually get there. But if my friend lives right next door to the school, she might get to school before me. She's just a lot closer. That's exactly right. That makes sense. Because the part of our brain that stores our memories is so close to the part of our brain that handles smell, Sometimes, a smell can trigger a memory. Exactly. I asked Dr. Murthy what kinds of smells hold memories for him. The one that I keep coming back for me this is the smell of the flower jasmine. And I think I, I grew up in India, or more or less every evening in a warm evening, you know, uh, the, the jasmine flowers will bloom. And I think that just having a lot of the jasmine flowers, I just now, if I smell jasmine, I get transported mentally to just in, in the little town that I grew up in, and then just you know going on my bicycle or kind of hanging out and shooting the breeze with my friends. Mm -hmm. And so it might be true that the part of your brain that smells jasmine is very close to the part of your brain that remembers your childhood in India. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I think that you can ask like, why jasmine? Why not something else? And you know, these are again are questions we don't quite know. As we're talking, you've sort of mentioned multiple times that it's hard to know some of these things for sure. Um, is that true for a lot of different types of science? Yes, it, it is true. And I think this is very important uh, for people to know, especially kids, because I think as we go around the world, we are sort of experimenting. We're sort of figuring out things that we're trying to understand. But I think scientists, we have this way of saying, look, yeah, I believe this is, there's a lot of reason to believe this. But I also want to be open to the fact that maybe I'm wrong. I want to be cautious, right? I think that's the spirit in which I, I was saying that there is we don't know for sure. And I think that spirit applies to a lot of things outside of science, too. I think that might, in a lot of cases, be a good way to sort of approach the world. Yeah, I, I would agree completely. Thanks for that story, Chad. No problem, Molly. And special thanks as well to Dr. Venkatesh Murthy from Murthy Lab at Harvard. Whoa, that person was a neuroscientist? I didn't even know that was a thing. Yep, there are all different types of scientists out there, Greg, who specialize in different things. A neuroscientist is a scientist who learns all about our brain. Huh, that's sort of meta. Using your brain to study the brain. Having a brain learn about uh, itself, the brain. Wow, Greg, that's really deep. Mm, thank you. 
Well, Greg, while you're here, I'd love to get your help with another segment. <sighs> well, it's a busy day for me today, huh? If that's okay. Oh, it's more than okay. It's fantastic! I came here to learn. Great. Well, Greg, we want you to practice your cooking techniques while you're our intern this season. And so every week, our friend Andrea is going to teach you something new to up your arsenal of kitchen skills. Hello? Andrea is a test cook here at America's Test Kitchen Kids. That means she works on developing recipes and experiments for our cookbooks and things like the Young Chef's Club boxes. You can find out more about all that fun stuff by going to atkkids.com. Hi, friends. Hi, Andrea. Andrea, I'd like to introduce you to our new intern, Greg. Greg, it's awesome to meet you. I'm Andrea. I use she, her pronouns. Hi, Andrea. I'm Greg. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a little bit nervous to be back on the microphone, but I am also very excited to get better at cooking with your help. Well, I know the feeling, buddy, but you've got nothing to worry about. Parker! Hi, boss. Hi, boss's boss. Did you miss me? Yes, we did miss you. Ah, I'm so happy you're back. Did I ever? Greg, this is Parker. They use they, them pronouns and were our intern here last season. What are you doing back here, Parker? Well, Andrea said I could stop by from time to time and help Greg here learn some kitchen skills. And I couldn't wait. So I came the first chance I got. Well, we're sure glad you did. So, Andrea, what are you and Greg going to be working on today? Well, since it's cinnamon week, I thought it would be great to teach you how to bloom spices, Greg. Bloom spices? Is that like growing spices? Do they bloom like flowers? Well, not exactly. Some spices do come from flowers, like saffron, for instance, but blooming a spice means to cook ground spices in fat. Fat? I'm not sure what you mean by that, if I'm being honest. Oh, I know, like butter or oil. Right, Andrea? That's exactly right, Parker. Nice job. You've come such a long way since we had our first lesson in season two. Well, I learn a lot at the diner. Plus, you're a great teacher. Thanks, buddy. You're a great student. Oh, hang on. Why would you need to cook spices in oil or butter when you could just add them to your food? Wouldn't they just cook that way anyway? That's a very good question. They would cook that way, but the flavor wouldn't be as intense. The flavor compounds in many spices and even some herbs are fat-soluble, which means heating them in oil or butter extracts a lot of flavor from the spices, making their flavor stronger and even slightly different than if you didn't bloom them. Blooming also infuses the spice's flavor into the fat, so you're getting even more flavor throughout your dish. Huh? Uh, how can you be sure that's true? Greg, Andrea is a teacher. She knows everything about cooking. <laughs> that is definitely not true, Parker. But thanks for the vote of confidence. I know a lot about cooking, but I don't think anyone can know everything about it. One of the greatest parts of cooking is learning. I try to learn something new every time I step in the kitchen. To answer your question, Greg, we actually conducted an experiment in the test kitchen to find out if blooming spices in fat really extracts the most flavor from them. We steeped equal amounts of thyme, which is another ingredient packed with flavor compounds, in vegetable oil and in water, and then heated both samples up to 200 degrees. 
Then we strained out the thyme and sent the oil and water to a lab to test how much of its flavor compounds were extracted. Wow, that's so cool. That's some serious kitchen science. What did they find at the lab? Did the oil extract more flavor? It did. The oil had about 10 times as much flavor compound than the water. I would love to see this in action, Andrea, if that's possible. Well, it just so happens I have everything here for us to practice with. The important thing to remember when blooming spices is not to burn them. You want to heat the oil or butter over medium heat and pay close attention to them. How can you tell when they're cooked? Do they change color like onions? They'll get a little darker from the moisture and heat, but some spices already start out dark in color, so you don't want to just rely on color change. The easiest way to tell is to use your nose. You can tell your spices are cooked because you'll be able to smell them really easily. They'll be more fragrant when they're cooked than if you just smell them right out of the jar. Do you two want to try it? Actually, I'd prefer to watch this time. I sometimes learn better that way. Is that okay? Of course, Greg. I'll do this first one and talk you through it. I have two tablespoons of vegetable oil here, which I will add to the skillet and turn the stove to medium. We're going to heat it up for about one minute. We want the oil to be hot, but not smoking. Remember, we don't want our spices to burn. Oh no, definitely don't want that. That makes sense. Okay, it's almost ready. I've measured out one teaspoon of cinnamon. Why don't you smell it before we put it in the pan, Greg? Wow, that is really something special. Smells cinnamony and warm. I love cinnamon. Okay, now I'm gonna add it to the pan and let's cook it until you think it's fragrant enough. It should take about 30 seconds. I'll stir it up a little bit with this rubber spatula too. Ooh, I can smell it like a lot. It smells great. Different than before we cooked it in oil. Awesome. I think you're right, Greg. I smell it too. If it's all done, don't forget to turn off the stove, Andrea. Good call. Thanks, Parker. No problem. Those are just my diner instincts kicking into gear. If we had been cooking a dish for real, instead of turning off the stove, we would add more ingredients to the skillet now that the spice is fully bloomed. It's a really simple technique to get the most flavor out of dried spices. Oh, wow. That was a lot of information. I think I'm going to need just a bit of practice on that one. But I can see myself using those skills all the time. Like when I use just about any spice in cooking things, such as chicken or vegetables. I'm here if you ever want to go over anything, Greg. Oh, Parker, it was really good to see you, friend. Will you please tell all the folks at Town Square Diner we say hello? Roger that. See you soon, boss. Later, boss's boss. You know, Parker, we aren't actually your bosses anymore. Oh, I mean, I know, but can I still call you that anyways? Oh, of course. I'm going to start calling you boss, too. Bye, boss. See you later, boss. One boss saying bye to another boss. Boss, boss. Bye-bye. Thanks, boss. Bye, boss's boss. Bye. Bye, Parker. And thanks again, Andrea. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Oh, uh, Mitzi, before we go, whatever happened to those bottled podcast moments? Do you think it worked? Excellent question, Greg. I appreciate your follow-through on this one. Maybe we should give one a try? I think we should. Let's see what happens if you open one of those jars, Mitzi. 
Well, I don't really feel any of that podcast hosting joy. I sort of just smell onions. Uh, that might be from my lunch. Sorry, folks. Well, it was worth a try. Let's maybe wrap this thing up, Molly. I got a lot of dishes to do. Well, we'll be back soon with another cinnamony episode. Your science knowledge will bloom with our pressing question segment, followed by something off-season in our wild card. And remember, at the end of the season, we'll be using all of our ingredients in a very special mystery recipe to cook together. Can you guess what it is? If you love Mystery Recipe, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And feel free to leave us a review. We love reading them. Until then, keep keep on on cooking. cooking. Mystery Recipe is hosted by me, Molly Birnbaum, and I am a chocolate croissant. Chad Chennai is our writer and producer. He is Eggs Benedict. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. She's a breakfast burrito. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Anya Jeshik and Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. They are two eggs over easy with a side of corned beef hash. Jonathan Roberts composed our theme music and is a Pop-Tart. Our post-production supervisor is Jen Margolis. She's French toast. Our line producer is Diane Knox, who is also an omelet. Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. He's two double lattes. David Nussbaum is our CEO, and he's a blueberry pancake. Special thanks to our senior science editor, Paul Adams, executive editor, Kristen Sargianis, executive food editor, Susanna McFerrin, Senior editors, Afton Cyrus and Ali Velez Aldifer. Test cooks, Andrea Vavjin and Cassandra Laughlin. Assistant editors, Katie O'Hara and Tess Berger. And assistant test cook, Kristen Bango. Andrea Vavjin was a contributing writer on this episode. This episode featured the voices of Kira O'Sullivan, Neo Sihi, and Jonathan Cormer. Thanks again to our sponsors, Kroger, the National Mango Board, and Automat. Mystery Recipe is a production of America's Test Kitchen Kits. Also, Mitzi, if you're trying to savor these podcast moments, you can just go back and listen to all our past episodes. I can what? Yeah, you just go to hekkids.com slash mystery recipe, and they're like, all there. They're all I can with headphones and listen, but why? Mitzi, are you okay? How did I not? Hi, grown-ups. I wanted to tell you a little bit about our newsletter. If you love the fun food content we share on Mystery Recipe, then sign up today for our ATK Kids newsletter to receive even more recipes, activities, and stories from me straight to your inbox. As a mom of two, I always try to include things that are important to my family, and it's a great way to hear about all the new things we are cooking up at ATK. 
Plus, every new email added will be entered for a chance to win three free ATK Kids books for toddlers through teens. We'll draw 10 winners every month while the promotion lasts. And we have some great books available all the time. Head to atkkids.com newsletter to sign up today for your chance to win. 